Welcome to Knives Out Minute. I am your host, Brian, and my guest for this week always has been and continues to be Rick Ingham. That's right. We're back. We're back, and the car chase has come to a rather delightful end. Uh, and uh, starting with more uh, brilliant fancy driving uh, from Marta. I did remember to actually write down this time what the final line is, because uh, this is minute number... 94, which means we are going from 1 hour and 33 minutes and 0 seconds to 1 hour and 33 minutes and 59 seconds. <laughs> and uh, the last line of it was, I spoke to Winetta Thromby, great Nana. And what a great Nana she is. And we cut off right in the middle of the sentence there, so. Hmm. Which is weird, because I, I don't think I've heard, I don't think that's ever happened before. I haven't obviously been paying super close attention to what people have been saying at the end, but uh, this is the first time we've lost mid-sentence, which is, which is nice. Um, but yeah, as I said, we open up with some great driving from Marta. She knows that she does not have a speed advantage, as we have been consistently saying about our marvelous Hyundai accents. Um, but what she does have is a surprising amount of maneuverability, which again, I can attest to. Those things handle actually pretty well. Yeah, maneuverability and they're also very small. Yeah, my current car is like, I think it's only like in, in terms of like absolute space, like a foot wider and two feet longer or something. But I'm keenly aware of how large it is sometimes when I'm pulling into parking spaces now. Oh, absolutely. Like, I'm used to being able to fit anywhere and now I actually have to think about it. So I don't want to go through the complete vehicle ownership history. I don't want to go through my entire vehicle ownership history, but before I owned my current V8 pickup truck that I mentioned in the other episode, I was driving a three-cylinder smart car. And let me tell you, not only did I spend pennies on gasoline, um, I also had more than enough room whenever it came to parking and maneuvering. Uh, if I lived in a city, it would have been a blessing, but I live out in the uh, rural suburbs. So its inability to get out of its own way was quite frustrating. But I enjoy watching Marta use the relative size and maneuverability of the accent here to avoid these much larger SUVs. And it reminds me of all of the nimble go-kart-esque maneuvering I could have done in my smart car. And now I'm driving a much larger car in my pickup and it's a large adjustment to make. Uh, but yeah, as you say, she was uh, darting down alleys and the police SUVs either couldn't fit or couldn't turn in time. Uh, and wound up uh, smacking into the walls and getting stuck up on the, uh, uh, on the, uh, what do you call it? Like, there's like a little stack of pallets that one of them got a mm -hmm. wheel stuck on and stuff, uh, which is pretty good. It was, it was uh, you know, well shot, good stuff. Uh, yeah. And so they stop and they, they take in a deep breath. 
uh, and like, oh my gosh, oh my god, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, we totally made it, Ransom, I want to thank you so much for helping me out here, etc., and they're having like a, you know, a, a personal moment, a connection, and then... They are immediately found. Benoit just walks up and knocks on the door. <laughs> um, uh, Elliot gets out of his uh, car and says, get out, which of course for Lakeith Stanfield is now a catchphrase. Um... And, uh, yeah, he, he says uh, one of the more memorable lines of the movie, that was the dumbest car chase I have ever been involved in. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he, uh, uh, they, they've both got their hands up as soon as they get out of the car. He doesn't put their hands down, which is another really fine delivery from him. And uh, that's when uh, Benoit says that he spoke to Great Nana, and we don't know what they spoke about yet. Mm. So... Very mysterious. This is just another just absolutely cracking scene. This has been a good car chase start to finish. Abs- absolutely. How much did you wince when you saw that police SUV crack into this corner of that building? That was, it was good because it wasn't like, you know, one of the th- good things that about the, you know, the way Johnson directs is you didn't feel like, you know, they were putting anyone in danger. Um, like, you know, this wasn't, like, a crash that was going to, like, send somebody flying through a windshield or something. Mm -hmm. But it still felt so visceral. You're absolutely right. There was a straight-up wince there when it, like, almost hit that turn, but then it didn't. And just, like, right into it. Yeah, it's the kind of motor vehicle accident that an ordinary person would experience in their life. And you just know that if you were to be in your vehicle and drive into the corner of the building, you would not only have this sudden wave of, oh no, I have to deal with my auto insurance, but then you know that there's probably going to be damage to the building and it sticks in you in such a visceral way compared to if the vehicle hit a ramp and rolled through the air and tumbled end over end a million times like the car accident at the end of i believe it's casino royale the one where they rolled end over end for the most times you know i was just watching uh a couple of weeks ago was uh the italian job uh not the good mm-hmm. one the old one um yeah i said it <laughs> <laughs> not 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 a great movie that one uh it's a real you know late 60s british caper film by which I mean, everything goes on forever, and I have no idea who I'm supposed to like and dislike. Yeah, plus but, the old one does not have Charlize Theron in it. Come on. That is true. It does have Michael Caine, um, who... I'm not saying Michael Caine has never been sexy, but in that particular movie, he's not nearly as sexy as they want us to think he is. <laughs> he has been. He has been at several times before and since, but there's something about like the the way they're dressing him in that one. But what it does have is like five or six scenes of people pushing cars over cliffs. (laughs) And I remember thinking that the way that they would do this in this time period was by pushing a car over a cliff. Yep. Like, you know, a lot has changed about the world. And, uh, you know, like, this is the kind of thing that we don't with special effects these days. There is just something about seeing somebody just get a forklift out (laughs) Just push a car, and then the camera stays on it for like a solid two minutes of rolling down a hill. (laughs) It's like, oh, still going, huh? How long is this movie? But, uh, yeah, no, as you say, this was uh, much more uh, small scale, but 
uh, as a result, felt all the more real. Yeah, and then you've got that other SUV that is hot on the or hot on the heels of Marta's Hyundai there. I think it's very clever that they're able to go around the building to catch up to her. And then something as innocuous as a few pallets falling over foils this mighty vehicle that the police are driving. And then they're like, oh, crap, nope, don't go slowly because those things got nails in them and you don't want to pop the tires. Of course, I'm distracted by the trash truck in the background. I did not notice it, I, I will admit. So the trash truck in the background is uh, property of the JRM Hauling and Recycling Company, which anybody who lives in the New England area, particularly uh, northern Massachusetts, southern New Hampshire, is well familiar with JRM because they are the waste management company that is contracted with a lot of the local cities and towns to go through and pick up trash. And so I have seen my fair share of JRM trucks in my lifetime. And it is a screaming beacon that this movie takes place in the Boston area to see one of those trucks. You know what? I appreciate the commitment to realism. Absolutely. That is, uh, I, I have mentioned this, I keep losing track of what I've mentioned on my own show versus what I've mentioned on this show, but um, <laughs> in uh, uh, Whiplash, um, the, uh, the the big climactic uh, scene where you know he gets into an accident and he doesn't have his sticks with him um, mm-hmm. is uh, set in my hometown of Donella, New Jersey, uh, mm-hmm. and I it's this tiny town uh, in in Central Jersey. It's you know they obviously did not bother coming out to film here. There would be no need for that. But looking out the window as he was driving, I was just like, this isn't even on the right coast. <laughs> this is not only not the town where I live. This is California that I'm looking at. And uh, so yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. You know, this this they wanted the set in Massachusetts. They filmed in Massachusetts, and uh, you know, if a JRM truck adds to the realism, so much the better. Yeah, it's nice to have Knives Out as an alternative to The Departed for a movie that is set around in and around Boston. And so New Englanders can say, oh yeah, you want to you wanna watch a Boston movie, you can watch Knives Out. You don't have to watch The Departed, uh, The Boondock Saints, or anything like that. He's a cop! <laughs> oh, that is... That is a movie that you watch when you're a freshman in college and you're like, oh man, I got to get me a poster of that. Movie's awesome. And then you uh, get a little older and you're like, okay, well, you know, it's it's a trip. <laughs> and then what's really like absolutely wild about it is that 10 years later they made a sequel. Yep. <laughs> like, it was... It was not a successful movie. It actually, it did wind up, because I, I know like it cost like $6 million or something. It was not an expensive movie, but it absolutely did nothing at the box office. Like, limited release, I think it was in like 10 theaters for like two weeks or something like that. Um, but it, it wound up becoming a cult hit on, uh, on video and, and turned quite a significant profit. It's got a 7.8 out of 10 on... IMDb and for a movie okay, that is well, that's just, ridiculous. <laughs> it's just a shoot 'em up crime film to have that high of a rating. Like, damn. And that's after two hundred thousand reviews. 
There are two things about that movie that I would say are truly good, and they are Billy Connolly and Willem Dafoe. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I don't believe either of them are... Oh, no, I'm looking at it now. You know, Billy Connolly is in the sequel, so there you go. Mm-hmm. And uh, so is Willem Dafoe. Okay, never mind. Maybe I'll check it out after all. <laughs> also, according to this, Bob Marley is in it, but I have to imagine not the same one because, you know, no, it's 2009. <laughs> it's Bob Marley, the Boston area comedian. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Boston. <laughs> the... The other good thing uh, about this, the, um, the 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 setting for this particular scene uh, is that the the specific way that this uh, town is set up, where it's like these big winding roads and like these random alleys and stuff, it does make for a very good chase. But it also, as you mentioned, it's completely believable that at the end, all they have to do is figure out where they pulled in and just drive around to the other end. Uh, and swing right around and get to them. That is something I appreciate. That's something about like these these little northeast towns. Oh my gosh! Uh, okay, that I think I, they made great use out of. Oh yes, I'm once again getting distracted by the background details. Uh, I was totally fine. Marta, I, thought we had, I thought you had something else about Boondock Saints. I would have taken it. No, as Marta rounds the corner, she drives by the back entrance for a mattress firm which is a store that I recognize, but also on the back of the Toyota Tundra in the foreground, there's a little Boston Bruins sticker that says, keep calm and Bergeron, (laughs) which is always fun because we love our sports stars here in the Boston area. I very much approve of that. Um, I also approve of Mattress Firm. It's always been one of my favorite names for a store because it's like kind of a pun, it's not really. Right. right. <laughs> like, it almost is. Like, you see where they were trying to make it a pun? You know, they didn't, mm-hmm. but they didn't not. So, you know, you got that going for it. Yeah. Um. All right. So our question for the day. Sorry, I got I opened up so many tabs over the past few episodes. I just got to close. Oh, totally forgot to open that one up. Snakes on a Train. Oh, God. God. Real movie. It is, by the way, just, um, just, I promise we won't talk about this in detail. Um, it is about a woman who has been put under a Mayan curse that will cause snake eggs to hatch inside of her and eat their way out of her body. And so oh, she geez. has to cast a magic spell in order to lift the curse. And so that's why she's traveling on the train. Uh, but then all of the snakes escape. And it did. So, wow, that's, you added a whole extra wrinkle to that movie, didn't you? <laughs> that was a lot of effort that did not need to go into that film. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, this actual sentence appears in the Wikipedia plot summary. Eventually, and inexplicably, she herself transforms into a giant snake and swallows the moving train whole. So, you know, we've got that it's to bold think move. It's a, it's a bold strategy. Let's see if it pays off. Yep. Uh, so as I was closing tabs, our discussion point for the day is the films of Ryan Johnson. Uh, so, you know, what do you, uh, what do you think about his whole deal? How many others have you seen, if any? Well, I can't say that I've fully explored the oeuvre of Ryan Johnson. I think, like a lot of people, he really came to my attention when he was chosen to direct The Last Jedi. And I am one of those people that stand out and say, you know what, I enjoyed The Last Jedi, um, several years, 
yeah, several years prior, several years prior, he directed Looper. Uh, did not get a chance to watch that one, even though it has you know Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis, which are normally great actors. I just didn't run out and get that one. Um, and then what was the other one from two thousand eight? Brothers, Brothers Bloom. Uh, Brothers Bloom. That was yeah, the didn't uh... catch that one either, even though it's got Rachel Vice in it. Which honestly, Rachel Vice showing up for anything makes the movie worth watching in and of itself. Uh, it has Rachel Weisz um, uh, riding a unicycle and playing accordion and doing close-up magic and mm-hmm. all sorts of other amazing things. I mean, Adrian Brody and Mark Ruffalo are there too, I guess. But... And uh, time, Ricky J shows up in there too, uh, narrating. <laughs> uh, got um, uh, Maximilian Schell is in it. This is his final English movie. Robbie Coltrane shows up. It's a, it's a fascinating cast. Rinko Kikuchi uh, is in it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really good. The um, the, the thing that is uh, uh, interesting about Rinko Kikuchi is she was just in uh, Babel when she mm-hmm. was put into the Brothers Bloom. And he wrote the part to be mute. And he really liked her in Babel where she played a mute character. And so he's like, he wasn't sure if she would want to. Uh, be in it but you know she she didn't she was really good in it uh and then she was cast in pacific rim where she's not mute she just the character hardly ever talks right so it's like i don't know does she have a weird voice or something like <laughs> she's pretty quiet in that movie like i i will say that i like pacific rim i like guillermo del toro but that movie has problems with women characters so i don't know yeah. uh but yeah no she's to the point is she's good in the brothers bloom so it's a wild cast but it's I think it's his only outright flop because Looper made bank Mm -hmm. and Brick wasn't, you know, huge at the box office, but it also only cost like, I don't know, like 400,000 or something. Uh, And then Star Wars obviously was the number one movie of, uh, you know, uh, uh, 2017? Whatever year. Yeah, 2017. Yeah, and then Knives Out was, you know, again, just a, a complete smash. So the Brothers Bloom is kind of like the weird outlier in his career in terms of public impact. But it's it's worth checking out. Did yeah. you see Brick? I have I not, have not seen, seen Brick. Brick is the one that I always recommend. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. a... Um, it's an odd movie. Uh, but, it, like, when you start watching it, it's a mystery, which is, you know, it's got the closest tie to Knives Out. And then if you're watching it, if you don't find yourself on its level, you know, that might be a problem, but... Once you key into what it's doing, it's uh, it, it's a wonderful work of the genre. Instead of being a detective-driven murder mystery like this, it's a it's like a noir film, mm. uh, but in a high school setting. Uh, but very much like the uh, all all of the plot elements of noir are there. So interesting, uh, yeah, strong recommendation. That is that, and then his next, uh, the, the rest of his career, uh, as it is currently uh, on the docket, is two Knives Out sequels and um, a, uh, a TV show he's doing with Natasha Leon. So, And IMDb is quick to note that he also has a untitled Star Wars trilogy that has been announced. I don't think he necessarily needs to busy himself with that. I feel like he can stick to Knives Out. And doesn't yeah. necessarily need the Star Wars money. Like, he's I, yeah, good enough that he doesn't need to go back to that well unless he really wants to. Now, that being said, like, if he does want to, I'd 100% love to see what he comes up with. 
Oh, absolutely. It's one of those situations where if you don't need to suckle at the teat of the House of Mouse, then good. I don't want to ever see Ryan Johnson in a situation where he needs to. Yeah. You know, pay lip service to that corporation. <laughs> we were talking on on my other show which I will be officially promoting tomorrow, but uh we we talk about remakes and we were doing um The Lion King now mm-hmm. about John Favreau and how he made uh Iron Man and then he made Iron Man 2. And then he made Chef, which is not very secretly a movie about how completely soul-crushing it is to work for Disney. I've heard about that. It ruined him as an artist, and he had to rediscover himself uh, and also write a movie where he gets to make out with uh, Sofia Vergara and uh, Scarlett Johansson. I mean, I mean, if you can. If you're the writer-director, you know, sometimes those options just present themselves. If the um, role calls for it. But it was also like, you know, I'm not sorry for what I did. And, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was in it. Scarlett Johansson was in it. So, like, it had a lot of, you know, people from his previous films. But it was about how, like, this this chef under this corporate thing with this corporate boss that's forcing him to do things this way and play it safe and do what's expected. And that's really stifling and everything, et cetera, et cetera. And then he made The Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, not only is it exactly all the same kind of stuff, but it's not even imaginative. Of all the Disney remakes, it's the one that comes closest to just being a shot-for-shot redo of the original. There's very few original ideas in there. Mm -hmm. And so on the one hand, it's like, he doesn't have to. But on the other hand, (laughs) I don't know, sometimes the money's that good. Yep, yep. I don't think Johnson would do it just for the money. I think he would make his Star Wars trilogy if he had good ideas for a Star Wars trilogy. And I I, I do hope he does. Because, you know, like I said, The Last Jedi is one that worked for me. I think he's the... More than anybody except, honestly, Jon Favreau, by the way, who's still working for Disney again, doing The Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I I think that the two of them have a good sense of the Star Wars universe and how to expand it and how to make it more than just what's the Skywalker family up to these days? Right. right. I think we've seen enough of that family for yeah, a, exactly. for a although, quite a while now. Although one of them did show up at the end of The Mandalorian, so... Yeah. I guess that means Ryan's the only one that can completely resist. <laughs> kind of hope Mark Hamill is in Knives Out too. Think I think they work well together. I mean, any instance to see Mark Hamill on screen, that man is a delight. Oh, uh, I've lived for the alternate universe where he actually got to be in Amadeus. <laughs> you know, missed opportunities. What you gonna do? You know, he was in Amadeus on Broadway. I did not know that. Yeah, it was him and um, I forget who was Salieri at the time because the original cast was uh, Tim Curry and Ian McKellen. Um, and they didn't get to be in the movie because the guy who was making the movie wanted American accents. Mm-hmm. But Hamill, when he found out about that, because he had done it on Broadway, and he, he started, like, pushing hard for it, but did not get cast. Alas. All right, I think that will bring us to a conclusion for this episode. So would you like to once again promote yourself? Certainly, if people are interested in hearing more from me, all of my... Podcast episodes can be found on MadMaxMinute.com, where my co-host Julia and I go through the Mad Max series of movies one minute at a time. And since we've run out of Mad Max movies, while we're waiting for Furiosa to come out, we are covering Waterworld two minutes at a time. 
magnificent. The finest work of Dennis Hopper's career, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, Actually, that that probably came out just hot on the heels of Super Mario Brothers, now that I think about it. Rough time to be Dennis. Yeah, if I mean, if we want to talk about actors who love chewing scenery, <laughs> you could do worse than uh, Dennis Hopper. Uh, we are very likely, uh, again, I'm not officially promoting my show until tomorrow, but we are very likely to do Super Mario Brothers on it eventually. Oh, jeez. I'm, I'm very excited because I know that uh, Dennis Hopper was sober uh, by the time he made Mario Brothers. And I also know that apparently Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo were drunk every day on set. <laughs> and so I was like, that's, that's got to be rough for Dennis. Just looking up at the Koopas. Am I having a flashback? <laughs> uh, so that's that. Uh, don't forget to uh, rate, review, and subscribe, of course. And we will see you tomorrow to uh, bring out this week with episode uh, 95.